You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. Great to see everybody. Uh, Did anybody, uh, who are the people who who already, like, their Christmas stuff was already up before Thanksgiving? But they're already in it. Yeah, okay, cool. And then who was like, this was the weekend? Like, this was it. Oh, we're like half and half-ish. Okay. Um, that's cool. Yeah, we, uh, my family, we decided this year to, um, we always go to a lot, but we have, a, at, at its high, we have about a 20-foot ceiling. We have a cathedral ceiling. And so getting that big of a tree on a lot is, whew, you know, so um, that's some cheddar. So we went out past, so we got like a license thing or permit, went out past Green Peter Lake and cut down a tree. Has anyone done that? <clears throat> Pretty fun. Yeah, my allergies are terrible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hurting, but uh, it was awesome. It was really cool, and the tree's all spindly and stuff. So anyways, um, if this was your weekend, uh, I hope it was a great, restful weekend, uh, full of fun. <clears throat> um, but today, so um, what we decided to do is, uh, you know, we're, we're trucking along through Matthew here at Hub City, and um, we love it, and we kind of thought, man, what would be a good kind of close out to the end of the year? Should we just go through Matthew or whatever? And we just, like, love the Advent season and just really diving into it and preparing our hearts, but it actually starts next week. If you look at your calendar, it starts on the 3rd with the parade. It can't start before the parade. Um, so we kind of cut to stop uh, a week early and to take today. Today is not technically Advent in the calendar, but it is a day of preparation for Advent. So what we wanted to do is take a Sunday where we kind of pause Matthew, kind of pause our regular scheduled broadcasting a little bit, and prepare our hearts for the upcoming season. I'll explain a lot more later of what the next couple Sundays will look like, but today is a day of preparation. So there's kind of going to be some high-level setup for the next few weeks. Um, But let's get into it. Just the word itself, Advent, um, kind of comes from the Latin Adventus. Um, meaning coming or arrival. What gets it confusing sometimes is Advent a lot of times gets said, oh, it's, it's the waiting. It's the people waiting on God, waiting for something. And yes, there is, when there is a coming or arrival, there has to be waiting for that. But the word actually is arrival. And it's usually, typically, it's always been used to like herald the coming of a ruler or a king. And you can read this in all sorts of old literature, medieval stuff, or like if someone were to go through your town and say something like, you know, you, you, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better watch out, I'm telling you why, why? Jesus, thank you. Guys, Santa, come on, come on, that was a test. Right, so that was like a, that's like an advent, a heralding of like someone is coming, prepare yourself sort of thing, right? So when we say Advent here, we're talking about the eager anticipation of the arrival of God into the world. We believe this has happened. We believe this happened in the person of Jesus fully. And we celebrate that in the Christmas season, specifically on December 25th. But we're again, we are now in another waiting period for God to advent once more to finish what he began. Amen? So we are the people of the now and the not yet. And Christmas is such an incredible time to celebrate what we've already been given in Jesus. Now, most people you and I know celebrate Christmas at some level. 
whether it's Jesus-related or not. And for all, all people, it can get super nuts at times, right? Too many toys, too much stuff, so many things to do, meals to prepare, things to look at, right? But there's also natural beauty in the lights, and the beauty of the season, even the frost this morning. I don't know if you guys saw, there was like a little glitter, sparkly, yeah, just touches of heaven, you know? Having warm drinks by the fire, that kind of thing, all in celebration. And those are all symbols and signs that the Christmas season is here. Like even getting a tree, put it in your house, that's a sign of something, that a season is here. And it gives us all the feels. And one of the most important ones is the nativity scene, okay, the manger. So I found this one, uh, actually Christy found this one, but it's pretty cool, they're all river rock that someone placed, which I'm just trying to think, is that really simple or is that like insanely hard to find like, <laughs> so you can just stare at that for a second. But it's pretty cool, but like everyone has a different like nativity scene or some sort of thing that you can look at and stare at and we've seen it, we know it, but again, it's like a symbol or a sign that like, oh, the season is here. But at the risk of just looking at that and any other manger scene that you see and thinking that this is just like, oh, what a beautiful moment of a baby born. So sweet. If you're a parent, you're like, oh, that's great, right? Um, it'd be good for us to be reminded of the significance of that particular sign, that particular scene of the baby born to the virgin. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate this moment on December 25th, we can enter back into the preparation God gave his people for this moment. And I think it's much deeper than we might always realize. So I want to help today, this morning, for all of us as a community to kind of expand our, when we see the manger scene, expand what that means to us. So I'm going to go back real quick and I want to read Matthew chapter 1, the scene where Joseph is brokenhearted. Okay, he's betrothed to Mary, but he just found out that she is pregnant, and he's resolved to divorce her quietly. It's a, it's, a, it's a rough scene, but this is Matthew 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now just like a month ago, or maybe two, we walked through some of the significance of that in our Matthew series. But I want to focus on the, the, the prophet Isaiah's quote at the end there. Where does this quote come from? We know it comes from the prophet Isaiah, but like, was it just said to him? Did he make it up? What was the purpose of it? Have you ever questioned why this is something we repeat year and year and year and year? And, and a lot of us don't know the context for why it was even spoken. Not to mention Isaiah lived about seven centuries before Jesus. So this fulfillment has been a long time coming. But I think to get to the significance of the baby born, we'll see this morning, we have to do some background work for it. So you guys ready? You with me? Let's go. Hey, you can get out now if, you, if you're not ready. So let me go back to Isaiah. So this is Isaiah chapter 7. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up. Isaiah chapter 7, it'll be on the screen. 
This is kind of the context. So I'm going to read to you the first part of it. Don't worry about all the names. I'll summarize it a little bit later, okay? So try to follow along. 7-1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. So Ahaz is king of Judah. Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David, that's where Ahaz and Judah is, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, so Ephraim is another word for Israel, when Syria is in league with Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. How cool is that description? So pause. So for like the next five to eight-ish minutes, let's nerd out, and then we'll come back to it, okay? So we need to think, this isn't a time when Israel, instead of being one unified nation, was split into two kingdoms. You can see it up there. There's the kingdom of Israel that's made up of ten tribes out of the twelve of Israel, and then there's a the kingdom of Judah. That's two tribes of the kingdom of Israel. So there's two kingdoms, and they kind of have this little bit of a civil war thing going on. Um, and at the at, now God is faithful to all of his people. He's faithful to Israel, faithful to Judah. And you see him, if you read through Kings or Samuel or Chronicles, you read those books, it kind of explains a lot of that stuff of what is happening. Um, but God is faithful to them despite all their wicked and despicable stuff they do. Though the southern of Judah had more kind of central worship of God, but they still were corrupt in their ways. So they would put God, they'd worship him like as their God, but they'd also have other gods that sometimes they would go to. The northern Israel kings, they've turned basically to have God just be like one of the many gods that they have and the idols they would bow down to, and they basically would just go to anything that would give them what their heart desired, Okay. So at the time of this Isaiah prophecy, the guy who is king of Judah, that southern place, is Ahaz. And let me read you a brief description of Ahaz, because you might think, oh, is he a good king or a bad king? The second king, 16.2. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Is he good? Not great, right? So the northern kingdom of Israel did not like Ahaz either, and they wanted to take him out. So what they did is they partnered with a neighboring nation called Aram, A-R-A-M, which is known as Syria. So it's a little hard to see, but basically Israel's the purple, or lavender, if you're so inclined. Aram is, what is that, burnt sienna? I don't know. <laughs> Salmon, I don't know, something. So Israel and the orangey are against the greeny. okay? That's the official terms for it. So, like, that's a lot. That's a lot of firepower coming to your doorstep, okay? And they want to take out Ahaz, and they're meeting right in Jerusalem, right on the border there. So maybe seeing this whole army, seeing these two nations come together and try to take you out, maybe this will shake Ahaz up, right? Maybe this will be like, oh, turn to God now. Nope. Ahaz, instead of turning to God, he turns to the growing world power of Assyria. So the 2 Kings 16, 7. 
So Ahaz sent messengers, and if you're a history buff, maybe you'll remember this name, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, um, it was a crazy name, saying, I am your servant and your son. That's like a facepalm moment, right? Not good. He says, come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And then to further the cringe, says, Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. Not good on multiple levels. Ahaz, he just is making a business decision here. Instead of repenting and turning back to God, he thinks, I'll go and find the biggest, baddest bully in town, pay him with God's offering money to come and protect us. This couldn't backfire at all, right? And shocker, it does not go well, right? Judah actually ends up surviving, but there's this brutal attack. And if you want some fun reading later, Second Chronicles 28 records the battle and what happened, but like a couple hundred thousand people die, get taken into exile. It's, it's pretty bad. And if you follow the story later and keep going, you'll actually see that because Ahaz gave Assyria, the king of Assyria, the front keys to the door, they actually come in and do like tons of damage and exile a bunch of God's people. It's an absolute mess. But at the same time, despite his wickedness and his foolish decisions, God tries to intervene with Ahaz. So back to Isaiah 7. God tells Isaiah to go and to talk to Ahaz and to say this. Isaiah 7, 4. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Man, the language is so good. Right? Israel and Syria are nothing more than like hot irons that have been put out and are just like smoking. That's nothing compared to me. Uh, verse 7, at the end of verse 7, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. But God does conclude this prophecy with a challenge to Ahaz. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, God has every reason to just sit back and watch this wicked king go down because of his choices. But instead, he says, I'll be here, and you should trust in me. And then God goes even a step further in generosity, and he says this to Ahaz. Isaiah 7.10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Just pause there for a second. What a gift. Ask a sign from the Lord as high as you can possibly think or as low as you can possibly think. Like Christmas came early for Ahaz. Literally, I'll give you any way you want for you to be assured and to know that I am the Lord your God and that I will do what I say I will do. Does anyone in here want that for Christmas? That is our prayer, right? Now, the next line might seem very super spiritual, but alas, Ahaz has different motives. Isaiah 7, 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Again, sort of mind-blowing how foolish this guy is. On the flip side, this also kind of sounds a little bit like what you should say. It sounds like kind of a reverent response, like, oh, I wouldn't, not me, right? That's not the case. Ahaz is likely more not wanting a sign from the Lord because he hasn't put his faith in the Lord. It's very obvious, and he doesn't want to. 
instead of this being a reverent response, this is a response of God is not who I go to in times of trouble. A sign from you is pointless to me. I know you exist, but I don't care. I have Assyria. I put my trust in the security of things I can see. I see them conquering the world. They can come and help me and provide. <clears throat> he doesn't want to turn to God believing he can save himself through his own decisions. And this is a decision that completely shows the heart of the king of Judah who leads the people. He will not ask for a sign of promise. He will not trust in the Lord. He does not want the advent of God because it actually threatens his power and reign and life. Believing in God and asking for a sign means that he would need to follow that. And Ahaz does not want to do that. This is why I believe it's possible that this Bible story is the real story behind Dr. Seuss's The Grinch. <laughs> Stay with me, think about it. He pretends to be Santa when, spoiler alert, he is not. In fact, when he can feel the warm sun, see the Who's starting to decorate down in Whoville, and he almost hears the famous song, sing it with me, Fahu Doris, Fahu Doris, welcome Christmas, come this way. Okay, let's stop. And what does he say instead? And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Well done. You see, this is the exact same thing. Ahaz is the Grinch of the Bible. Okay? Don't think about it. It's great exegesis. Okay. But what the thing is, what Ahaz has forgotten in his thirst for power and self-preservation is that God is a covenant God with all of the house of David. And though he is faithful despite all the wicked kings, God will provide salvation himself. It does not come through man. So the Lord answers not just to Ahaz, but now addresses the whole house of David, the house that he has promised that he would be the God and and keep their kingdom and their king forever. This is where we've been building to. This is what he says. Isaiah 7, 13. He said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz didn't ask for a sign of salvation. Ahaz chose self-salvation, which has not and never will work. But God, in his great mercy, gave his people and all future people who believe in him a sign anyways. The sign of how he would save those who would turn to and trust in him. The sign that God gave them of how he was going to save his people was a boy born of a virgin. For Ahaz, what he wanted, what he was seeking in Assyria was deliverance from the foes outside their walls, victory from their enemies, and peace from war. And they saw that in the powerful arm of Assyria, safety from the darkness out there. But God has been working on something so much bigger and so much greater and so much more devastating than just the enemies outside the doors. God has been chasing after the enemy inside his people's hearts. That is sin. 
I don't think in that story of Ahaz, God saw two, you know, northern and southern Israel in battle. I think he saw a king and a people struggling with sin in their hearts. Lots of those battles, especially with ancient Israel, if you read through them, we read about in our scriptures, histories, were all caused because of man's sin-sick hearts. So God just didn't want to just save them from a bloody battle on earth. He wanted to save them from the ever-present battle leading to death that sin brings about. So this is why, seven centuries later, when you get to Matthew, and this sign from Isaiah gets fulfilled in Jesus' birth, what does the angel say? Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' birth is the ultimate sign that God is with his people because he's not just freeing them from something out there, he's saving them from themselves. He's come to defeat the true enemy of sin and death that's represented by all enemies in our scriptures. <clears throat> and this is why the preparation of our hearts is so important to focus on, to build up to the Christmas morning memory of the birth of Christ. This is why celebrating the advent of Christ is so crucial, because this isn't just a prophecy anymore. This is a reality. Emmanuel happened. God's sign of deliverance happened. The Virgin Mary did give birth to a baby boy and named him Jesus, who did come to save his people from their sins. And we, as a people living in that reality, have to prepare our hearts to accept that as our salvation, otherwise we will be prone to look for it elsewhere, just like Ahaz, and so many before and after him have done. Ahaz is one of many examples of the tension of supposed to be living for God in this world and sometimes looks like it, but instead really letting the world and darkness take over. God's call is being in the world, but as our scriptures say, not of it. And it's easy for us today to keep asking God for a sign. God, just speak to me. Show me a sign that you're real. Give me something to believe. And all those are amazing prayers, and I think at the heart of it, we just want to be close with our creator. And sometimes he answers, and sometimes he answers silently. But what he has already done is that he has already given a sign, the sign. We celebrate it at least once a year, hopefully more than that, but he has given his sign. His son, born in the manger of the virgin, is a sign of salvation. So the question today that we want to move into response time is thinking of the expanded context now for Isaiah's prophecy. If we are anything like Ahaz, what have we put our trust in to bring us hope, peace, joy, and love? The salvation that we also desire is to have those things so fully recognized and realized. None of us would say we've put our hope in stuff, money, power, position, people, influence, etc., right? But we all have pitfalls and ways of this world are enticing to us. And we cannot be so prideful to think that we couldn't be deceived by this world into trusting other things. Some of those pitfalls we know are just straight up sinful. There's no hiding that, but others are more hidden and cloaked by some elements of truth. Guys, the Spirit of God is the greatest barometer for that. When we go to the Spirit of God in His grace and truth and ask Him to show us where we have set up idols in our lives and have given our hearts over to other things for that hope, peace, joy, and love, He can show those to us. 
He can reveal those. The scriptures say our God is a jealous God, meaning he wants our hearts for himself. He doesn't want to see his people harden their hearts by idols against him. So the first step to that, of course, is confession, right? The first step of that is just confessing and how, how it's described as the pouring out of our heart for examination before the Lord, right? To cry out to God to show us where are we falsely placing our hopes and our salvation. And this is not for shame or condemnation or to, to feel hammered on, but deliverance from anything that has a hold of your heart that is not of God is actually a freedom. As God reveals that to us, and then we offer it to God to remove and then to replace it with himself, who is those things? He embodies hope, peace, joy, and love. And then it's followed up. If that's a moment for us, then it's followed up with beautiful response of repentance. The turning away from those things back to God and allowing him to be everything. In the story of Ahaz, despite his wickedness, if you follow the story, his son, who was king after him, Hezekiah, was a great king. He came in, he tore down all the idols, he broke the pillars, and he held fast to God and brought the people back. This is a representation that there is always an opportunity, no matter how bad you think things are, internally or externally, to turn back to God and follow his ways. These steps of confession and repentance are huge for the season because if we're not willing to first let go of what has a hold in our hearts, then we will not see the baby in the manger as our only hope for salvation. We'll have all the fun and the Christmas feels and see great pictures, but not the humble commitment to life that is truly life here on earth and beyond with Jesus as Lord. Kneeling before the manger is not just to peer in at some cute baby. It's kneeling in surrender and fealty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't celebrate just a king being born. We announce and proclaim that our king was born and our king is still alive. Many of us have done this, yes, but we also get to practice doing that over and over and over again in our daily denial of self. Again, we are a people living in the now and the not yet. The now because Jesus has come. He did save us from our sins by dying on the cross. He defeated the power of of sin and death to free his people from their sins, but he's not done. He's actively restoring the world through his resurrection and through restoring a people to himself. And our scripture says that this good king is making all things new to once again come fully dwell with his people. This is our hope. We long to see this completion. And we get to be a people that both remember the manger that was full and the tomb that is still empty. This season is celebrating the sign that God gave his people of the baby born. You're going to see the manger scene all over the place. And now hopefully there's a deepening of it. And as we gear up over the next few weeks to Christmas morning, our worship of Emmanuel, of God who came down, was with his people. We want to take the next four Sundays together to really get to the heart of what some of those words really mean that come out of this sign of Jesus. Those, hopes are, are, those words are hope, peace, joy, and love. And each Sunday, we're going to focus on one of those themes, but the services are going to look a little bit different. We got together, our, our preaching team and our worship team, uh, all in worship, but our song team uh, got together a few weeks ago and try to go through each of these, what are these words? And not just like, how can we learn about peace and hope and joy and love, but how can we embody that? 
How can we actually be a people of that that's because of our Savior who is that? So it's going to look a little bit different. I want to just tell you a few things just to prepare your hearts a little bit. In the next few weeks, kind of the flow, kids will check in right away. When they get here, they'll check in and go in the classrooms right away, which is so cool. It's not just to get them out of here. It's actually they have their own stuff planned, and we want to do something similar with them and have them steeped in their own Advent. But in our time even here, it might look a little less traditional where we kind of have the songs and the MC and then preaching and going to response. We're going to have in the time some reflection time. And there's some questions that, that come along with the Advent journal for reflection questions to answer in service or outside. There might be more call and response time. There might be a lot more, um, lot more singing and a lot more visuals up on there. There might be some silence time with just piano playing for confession, prayer, repentance. We'll have people in the back that are willing to pray with you. We have the journals. We're going to center then again right here smack dab in the middle. We want to have our Advent candle lighting where we'll come and we'll light a candle each week representing that. And then centering, coming back together and centering everything in communion together. Culminating in on, on December 24th, which is a Sunday, uh, we are going to actually have a full meal together. Everyone here, we just want to make this into an entire feast. I wanted to call it a love feast. People didn't like that. But I have a mic, so it's a love feast. <laughs> but we just want to be here together to culminate in that, to again, just like not just learn about, but to just be a people that are about that because our Savior is that, and we follow Him. So the goal over the next month leading up to Christmas morning is to prepare our hearts as a community together for when we enter Christmas morning and celebrate the birth of Jesus, can you put the, the manger back up, Jeff? And we see the manger again. You're, again, you're going to see it all different ways, but we look at that, and it's not just a sweet baby born or good feels, but that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every time we see it, to say, Lord, I put my trust in you. My salvation is found in you, and we're able to give him everything. So this morning... As we kick off the Advent season, as a story of Isaiah's prophecy is fresh in our minds to begin, Bryce is going to come back up here, and he's going to lead us through a time of confession and a time and an opportunity for repentance. And our prayer that this isn't a time for, for shame or heaviness, but it's actually that time of freedom, right? An opportunity to recognize and tear down some of those idols that has plagued us. Some, some of you know exactly what it is. It's plagued you your whole life an opportunity to allow the grace and mercy of God through the birth of his son to truly save us from our sins, to liberate us to live fully and freely as the people of God, the restored people of God through his son, Jesus Christ.